Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Rambam, Hilchis Trumais, Perik Chi'i, the laws of the heave or gift offering to the Kohen, chapter 9. And in chapter 9, <clears throat> we see an interesting merging in the beginning of chapter 9 between the laws of Truma and the laws of divorce, which we covered in great detail earlier. We learned earlier that a Kohen's wife may eat Truma by virtue of the fact that she is his wife. So the Kohen's wife can continue to eat Truma even though her husband made clear his intention to divorce her. They agreed upon a divorce. She can continue to eat Truma until the moment the divorce hits her hands. Or, alternatively, we learned earlier in the laws of divorce that there are various types of agents which the woman can appoint to receive the bill of divorce on her behalf. One of them is a shliach lekabola. An agent to receive the divorce. What is the definition? That means the second the agent has the divorce in, her, in his hands or her hands. The agent could be male or female. That means the person is divorced. The woman is divorced. She could be in California. Her agent could be in Iowa getting the divorce from the husband. And the minute the agent has the divorce in the agent's hands, she in California is divorced. That's called a shliach kabola. The agent has been assigned by her to take her place. So the minute the agent receives it, she receives it. So that is the idea of how the get interplays with Truma. She continues to, play, to eat Truma until the get, the bill of divorce, hits her hands or her receiving agent's hands. Furthermore, we learn many, many situations where a woman is doubtfully divorced because of various complexities in the narrative. So anytime when the halacha says she is Divorced in a state of doubt. We're not sure if she's still married or not. She might be divorced. In this case, she, being the wife of a Kohen, may no longer eat truma because she may, in fact, be divorced. And therefore, as an outgrowth of this teaching, Ha'isha, a woman, Sha'asta, who appointed, who made Shaliach an agent. Lekabalogito to receive her divorce, and believe it or not, these were the times before cell phone and texting and Twitter. Yeah. So she appointed the agent, and she has no idea where the agent is. She has no idea if the agent has the divorce or doesn't have the divorce. And the agent is a receiving agent. Because of the laws of doubt. Meaning, because of the law that says a woman who is doubtfully divorced should already not eat truma, the minute it is logical, possible for the agent to have received the divorce, she should no longer eat truma.
obviously, if she appointed the receiving agent to go to Iowa and uh, he's still in California, she could still eat Truma. Because it's impossible for the agent to have received a divorce. But, if, as we learned earlier in the laws of divorce, if she said to the agent, I want you to go to Iowa, and I want you to receive the bill of divorce from my husband. Then she didn't say, I want you to go wherever my husband is and get the divorce. She said, Iowa. She said, Montana. Eina Asura, in that case, she is not forbidden to eat truma until her agent reaches Iowa or Montana, because that was her appointment. And we learned earlier in Halacha that she could say, I want this bill of divorce to be handed over only in this place. So therefore, the agency was only created for this place. Now, there's a different type of agent. There's a different type of shaliach. What if she appointed Sholcha Shliach? She brought, she sent, or designated an agent. Lahavi Logita, to deliver her the get, that's not called a receiving agent. That's called a delivery agent, a FedEx guy. She said, go to Iowa and bring back this get to me. It's not that she appointed the agent to receive it on her behalf. She has a transport agent. Shliach leholacha, it's called. An agent to carry, to deliver. Then, in that case, a cheles betruma, she, married to a Kohen, may continue to eat truma, until the bill of divorce reaches her hand. What about her agent? He's only delivering. She didn't appoint him to receive on her behalf. And we learned these laws in great detail in the laws of divorce. Similarly speaking, this is an interesting one. What if a man says to his wife, I'm giving you this bill of divorce and it will take effect. One hour before I die. And this was in fact a fairly commonplace thing to do once upon a time when a couple had no children. And the woman, the husband did not want his wife to end up in the Leverite marriage situation. So if she's divorced, there is no Leverite marriage. Leverite marriage can only kick in if he dies. So he says, this bill of divorce should be activated one hour before I die. Again, our interest here is only one. We already covered the laws of divorce. Our interest is, can she eat truma or not? The answer is absolutely not. She may no longer eat truma as of this second. Why? Who knows when he's going to die? Maybe he's going to die in an hour. Nobody knows when they're going to die, and therefore one hour before he dies is now. Maybe. Next, and we covered these laws again in the laws of divorce and marriage, but here this is about truma. Ir sheikifua karkom, a city... God forbid, under siege, where the city was besieged by bad guys. Usfina hamiturefes bayom, a ship in danger of sinking in the sea. One of these uh, carnival cruise ships. <laughs> Just kidding. It's no carnival. 
and a suspect who is being judged for a capital punishment crime. The question is, the wife of the guy who's in the siege, the wife of the guy who's in the love boat, the wife of the guy who's being taken into a capital punishment case, court, court case, can she still eat truma? Or should she safely assume that her husband, the Kohen, is dead? Because if he's dead, she can no longer eat truma. If he's alive, she can eat truma. What's the assumption? The answer is, The assumption is, these people are alive until proven dead. Because cities survive sieges and individuals survive sieges and ships don't sink and people are not found guilty. The are certainly miforish Certainly if somebody takes an ocean voyage, ocean voyages then were very dangerous. Certainly if somebody takes a voyage by camel caravan through the ocean, we're not talking about a Dodge caravan, we're talking about a camel caravan. Dangerous voyages, that's why we have Gomel. But she can eat truma because in all likelihood... A person who takes an ocean voyage or a camel voyage is alive until proven dead. Abel, however, not so. Ir shekvoshu karka, a city that was conquered by the sieging army. A ship lost at sea. Somebody taken out to the gallows in a non-Jewish court. Someone taken out to be killed. Or, similarly, parallel, someone dragged away by a wild beast. Or someone who was caught in a landslide. Or a river ran over him. He was carried away by the raging waters. So in this case, we can assume that these people are probably dead. However, the key word here is probably, not certainly. What's the difference between probably and certainly? Because certainly has no possibility otherwise. Probably has a minority possibility. Therefore, because there is a minority possibility that he's not dead, this woman has the severe application of her husband being alive and the application and the severity of the law of her husband having died. It depends, depends what's more of a severe application. therefore, In this case, if the woman was a Kohen's daughter married to an Israelite, a Bas Yisrael Kayan, or an Israelite daughter married to a Kayan, in any event, they should not eat, because probably, shmabably, we're not sure. There's always a possibility that the person is alive or dead. However, if somebody was found guilty of capital punishment and taken out to be killed... And the court left him in the, took him out to the stoning area. We learn 
in the tractate of Sanhedrin, which we learn in our Monday night class here, we learned in Sanhedrin that even as they're taking the condemned man out to be killed by the stoning area, somebody can come and say, we have new information, and they'll bring him back to court. Here they already took him out. We can assume that he died, and she should no longer eat in the case where his death means she should no longer eat. Gimel 3, If this woman left her husband dying, gasping his last breaths in a different country, terminal, about to die, whether she was the daughter of a Kohen married to an Israelite or the daughter of an Israelite married to a Kohen, she should not eat either way. Because most of the people in their death throes, die. However, not all die. So therefore, again, you take the more severe approach. What if one witness says he died? Another witness says, what are you talking about? He didn't die. I just had coffee with him at Starbucks. Don't eat. She should not eat of the truma. Now, we learned earlier... In the laws of divorce, that there are very lenient liberal laws when somebody comes to a woman and says, your husband died, I saw him, he's dead, you can remarry. That is if that person has no subjective interest, self-serving interest in that testimony. However, what if her husband's other wife, what we would call today, her sister wife, told her her husband died. So she should take her word for it and remarry and never be able to be married to her husband again. That's not so reliable. There's a list of five women who should not be ever believed to say to a woman, your husband died. And the list of the five women is her mother-in-law. Never believe your mother-in-law when she says your husband died. Or your mother-in-law's daughter, your sister-in-law. She's always with the mother-in-law. Another wife of that man is one of them. A woman who was her husband's Yevoma, a woman who would enter into a Levite marriage with her husband. And her husband's daughter from another wife. All of these are not believed. Shemes Baila, what if one of these women said, Your husband died? Hail Vain being that by Torah law, she cannot marry by the testimony, even by rabbinic law of these people. Therefore, she can continue to eat Truma, assuming her husband is living. Until somebody trustworthy to testify. Again, we have liberal rules and testimony in these cases, but not that liberal, not the mother-in-law. Until somebody trustworthy in halacha, which means not one of these five women, will testify in sincerity that her husband died. Now we segue into laws of slaves, because we learned earlier that during the time before Abraham Lincoln, way before Abraham Lincoln, that slavery was practiced. If the slave was owned by the Kohen, 
then the slave can eat truma. What if somebody liberates, sets his slave free? So now the slave is no longer owned by a Kohen, so the slave can no longer eat truma. The question is at what point? The moment he conveys the bill of divorce, a slave is divorced, is, is liberated by a bill of divorce of a slave. It doesn't, a bill of divorce does not necessarily have to be given to the slave. It could be given to anyone on behalf of the slave. Why? Whether the slave knows about it or not. Why? Because we can safely assume that any slave would be happy to be liberated. And the halacha says, Zachin la adam We can always do something good for someone, not in their presence, even without their knowledge. So the minute Mr. A gives the bill of divorce for the slave to Mr. B, on behalf of his slave, Mr. C, the slave can no longer eat truma. However, any slave that was liberated but still doesn't have the technical bill of divorce. As we will explain in great detail in the laws of slaves, which is a whole category of halacha. He's already forbidden to eat truma, even though he still doesn't have his bill of divorce, his bill of divorce because he's already been liberated. What happens if Mr. A takes everything he owns and writes down, transfers it into the possession of Mr. B? But Mr. B doesn't know about it. Mr. C takes possession of it on behalf of Mr. B, and he says, Oh, is Mr. B going to be surprised? He's now a millionaire. There happen to be slaves in that grouping as well. And then, the guy who received it, as soon as he found out about it, he was quiet. He didn't say anything. He didn't object. But then afterwards, did he object? He says, no, I don't want it. Leave me alone. So we're not sure. As it relates to the slaves, whether they're allowed to eat truma or not, because they were transferred from one domain to the other. We're not sure. If the recipient yelling, the fact that he yelled, at the end, he always wanted to yell, in that case, his objection never allowed the stuff to enter his property, his domain. Or perhaps his screaming was a second later thought, the delayed reaction. Therefore, ain't eichlem betruma. The slave would not be able to eat truma. Ben Shayrab Shainim Yisrael, Barishin Kain, Ben Shayrab Barishin Yisrael, Vashini Kain. Whether the first master or the second master were Kohanim or Israelites, one was a Kohen, one was an Israelite. Seven. Interesting law. We learned that the animals, the domestic animals of a Kohen, can eat truma as well. That's the food of a Kohen. Yisrael Shasachar Behema Mikayin. What if an Israelite? rented an animal. Like today you rent cars. Back then they used to rent animals. Like you go into a, they used to have a Avis rent-a-car. You say, can I have a Mustang? And you meant a horse. A Israelite which, who rented a horse, an animal from a Kohen, machila truma. This animal could eat truma. Why could the animal eat truma? Because that's the Kohen's food, truma. 
So here, the Israelite can feed the animal truma. Why would the Israelite want to feed the animal truma? Because as we've spoken many times, economically, truma is cheaper. Because truma can only be eaten by kohanim, the demand is less, so therefore the price is less. So he wants to know if he can feed this kohen's animal truma. Why not? What about a kohen? who rents the animal of an Israelite, even though he has to feed it, because when you rent an animal, you have to feed it. He cannot feed it. Because he didn't acquire it. And in order to eat truma, one has to be acquired financially. An animal that you own is acquired. When, an, Isra- when a, an, an Israelite, a non-Kohen, receives a cow from a Kohen, the purpose is to fatten up the cow and to sell it for a profit and split the profit. And he has it evaluated. But he still cannot feed it. Why? The Kohen's going to have a part of the profit, but not all. The Israelites also going to have a part of it. So that's why you can't feed a truma. But a Kohen, who has a cow evaluated belonging to an Israelite, and he's going to do the fattening, and they're going to split the profits. Even though the Israelite will have a portion of the profits, being that the body belongs to the Kohen, because he had it evaluated, he now may... Feed a truma because he sort of takes possession. What if a cow belonging to an Israelite gave birth to a firstborn? We all know that the firstborn belongs to the Kohen already at birth. He can feed a truma. Again, it's a cheaper commodity. Because the Becher belongs to the Kohen. A person can actually store. Vetch, which is animal food, of truma in his dovecoat, and he should not be concerned that the doves will eat it because it's not a food that doves eat because doves are not allowed to eat truma. Yerali, it appears to me, whenever the Rambam says Yerali in ten, it means that this is his opinion. Cohen sells his cow to the Israelite. And the Israel and the Cohen takes the money. Here's a sale. Mr. Cohen sells his cow to Mr. Israel. And the Cohen took the money. The problem is that by rabbinic law, money does not affect a transfer. What affects a transfer by Torah rabbinic law is taking, tugging, pulling, moving the animal into your possession, called Meshicha. And we're going to learn about this at great length in the laws of business, buying and selling. Nevertheless, still, even though the transaction was only done here with money, paid for, but not acquired yet, it is already forbidden... I'm sorry, it is forbidden. Okay, let's review here. The Kohen sold his cow to the Israelite. And the Israelite took the money, even though he didn't yet acquire it. 
he is forbidden to feed it truma. Because by Torah law, money transfer completes a transaction, as we will explain. But the rabbis required the buyer to actually acquire it. But if the Israelite sold it to the Kohen, even though he paid the money, he shouldn't feed a truma until he takes it and acquires it and takes it into his possession. Uh, so what we're saying in the first case is if the Kohen sells his cow to the Israelite, the Israelite takes the money. Even though he didn't acquire it, already at this point the Kohen should stop feeding it to Ruma because by Torah law, the money itself is sufficient. End of chapter 9.